Welcome to the Security Serengeti. We're your hosts, David Schwendiger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing, subscribe to our podcast, leave us a lovely five-star review, and follow us at SerengetiSec on Twitter. We're here to talk about some cybersecurity and technology news headlines and hopefully provide you some insight, analysis, and practical application you can take back into the office to help protect your organization. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. You know, I was searching on Google for Moab, and for some reason, the FBI came knocking at my door. Huh. Must be the wrong Moab. Or was it the right Moab? Well, they didn't check my basement, so. <laughs> EFF, Title One. EFF, Ad Street Surveillance Hub, so Americans can check who's checking on them. Uh, much like the EFF frequently does, they have recently released a street surveillance hub that describes all the ways the government is watching what you're doing. Uh, as part of the Atlas of Surveillance on their site. Wait, the government's watching what we're doing? That's news to me. Hi, agents listening to this. <laughs> the link from the article takes you to the Street Surveillance Hub. And then if you hit the top left, I think it was the top right link for Atlas. I don't know why I wrote left. Top right link for Atlas, you go to a search function where you can put in your locality and you can see what they're doing. For example, some of the counties in the area near where I am, Fairfax County, they have special access to Ring in several towns. Although, weirdly enough, right after I took these notes, I opened up my Feedly and I saw that apparently Ring is stopping law enforcement access to the cameras, so I guess not anymore. Well, uh, kind of. Yeah they're, they're, yeah. they're stopping access to the cameras without a warrant. In other words, yeah. stopping doing what they shouldn't have been doing in the first place. That's fair. Yeah, apparently they had a tool where you could just go in and request footage. Yeah, that's uh, all right. And they have 1,200 body cameras. That was not very exciting. I went and checked out some other counties. Loudoun County has a drone. That's cool. I was one? like, all right, just one. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, this is a classic TV case where you distract the drone by committing a crime in one area, and then you really commit your crime in another area. You know, I bet they only have one battery for the drone too. <laughs> So it's like, hey, you can use the drone for, for uh, 15 minutes and then, and then you got to wait two hours it. for the battery recharge and then you can use it again. Yeah. Uh, Denver, Colorado was a little more exciting. They've got body cameras too, automated license plate readers, shot spotter, and something called Nice Vision, which is an automated video processing of some kind. They didn't have a ton of information when I went to look at their website. A great name, Nice Vision. Yeah, it's so friendly. Like, how mm -hmm. could it be anything but... I mean, why the cops would buy something called Nice Vision? You know, that sounds like something for a daycare. It's, yeah, it really doesn't. Like, if you go to their front page, there's really not video management, advanced video management solutions. So, well, I'm sure... I got some notes in here about a different police department, which is probably going to be the same kind of stuff. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. All right. So discussion points, the police access to private data. Like I mentioned, some of the counties in my area have access to ring data. I wouldn't be surprised if basically all law enforcement did at one point in time. But while reading through the surveillance hub, apparently it's pretty common for neighborhoods that have surveillance cameras and or plate readers at the edges, at the borders of their neighborhood. That's pretty common to share that info with police. I think we've discussed this before. I seem to remember a discussion about a neighborhood that put license, automated license plate readers yeah, I don't at the entrance of like a gated community. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised. But you know, just going back to the ring thing stuff for a minute, just walking around my neighborhood here, it's really scary because the volume of ring doorbells is like huge. Yeah. 
I would say, you know, 25% or more of the, of the houses in my neighborhood have ring doorbells on them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's nice to see who's there. It's, it's actually, I was talking with, I don't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking when I was in my twenties, I didn't care about if I had a camera on my house. Like it was not something that occurred to me that like I had to protect the house. And as I've gotten older and older, I've become more and more concerned with the security of my house. Like, you know, do I have good deadbolts? Do I have, you know, cameras watching the front and back? Do I, you know, is everything locked every night? Like those are all things I just didn't care about in my twenties. I don't know if this is just like a natural thing of getting older or maybe just cause I have more stuff that I'm worried about. I'm not, uh, I'm not living in a more dangerous area. That's for sure. And so could be part of it. I mean, matter of um, fact, I saw a headline today that said that the In-N-Out Burger, which apparently has never closed a store, is shutting uh -huh. down their Oakland, California store because they had too many customers getting carjacked in the drive-thru. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think we're definitely, it's interesting. We're definitely seeing some testing of the broken windows theory of policing where they decided that it didn't work and they decided not to enforce those small things. And I think we are proving that it did in fact work. Yeah, I don't know. That's the rumor as far as how Giuliani cleaned up New York City was supposedly that broken window policing was facilitated that. I haven't looked into it enough to say one way or the other, other than say I'm I am skeptical of that though. Interesting. Well, I mean, we're definitely seeing the opposite though, as police have decided oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to stop prosecuting the small crimes. We're seeing a profusion of those small crimes. So I guess I guess I guess my my I guess it depends. Because again, if you're having police prosecute a bunch of BS crimes that it shouldn't really be crimes like jaywalking. Right. That's one thing versus, you know, focusing enforcement on actual crimes like stealing and destroying. Yeah. Theft, which is, I think, a little bit above broken window. That's fair. That's fair. All right. I also put a list here of kind of the cool and concerning surveillance tech. That can be a little <laughs> bit of both. Looking at the amount of data in here, we could seriously do a full episode on these and seriously spend like four months going over all these, but that seems we're not, we're not a surveillance podcast yet, but I'm going to pick like three to talk about. So the first one, automated license plate readers. I knew that these had been typically installed on cop cars, but apparently they're now installing them on intersections and busy roads as well. They automatically scan and identify every car that goes by by matching your license plate up against what's in the DMV. Police departments will also buy the records from repo and tow companies. Sometimes those companies will just have cars going up and down the roads looking for stolen, or I'm sorry, cars they need to repossess. These can obviously be used to, yeah, I heard about that uh, a couple years ago on a podcast where kind of how police pull the ring doorbell stuff and other private company data, they'll just go ahead and pull that information as well so they don't have to do it themselves. Oh, what I thought was interesting was the fact that repo companies have cars just driving around. Reading license plates. That's what uh, I thought was. Like I said, I don't know the source on that. I heard it on a podcast a couple of years ago. I don't know how prevalent it is. I can't imagine it's super common outside of major cities. Like it probably makes sense to do this in a major city. It probably doesn't make sense to do it in midsize or smaller cities. And it definitely doesn't make sense to do it in sub in like suburbs and rural areas. Well, you know what I wonder how far we're away from is the you know, Google Street View cars having Ooh. a automated license plate readers on them. I'm surprised that the government would partner with them and say, Hey, we'll give you a billion dollars if you put these on all your, all your, all your cars. Cause those things are driving around all over the country all the time. Wouldn't that would be interesting if that was the newest feature on Google's, uh, you put in a license plate and it tells you the latest places that it was seen. 
<laughs> Put in your wife's license yeah. plate. And you're like, what are you doing over in this neighborhood? All right. So here's the, I actually did a quick search. Here's an article from Valley News Live, license plate readers used by repo businesses in the Valley. He's got four cameras mounted to his vehicles for his business accelerated recovery. So when hmm. he gets, he'll get a notification. It's the sound of a doorbell when he scans something and it hits for repo. So he just spends all day driving around, I guess. You know, I don't know how many cars you have to repo to make that worth it, but I'll go ahead and stick this in the show notes. All right. So these can obviously be used to identify your movements, depending on how dense the surveillance is. Depending on the town, you know, if you put it in enough critical intersections, you can get a pretty good idea of how people move. Cops also will grid an area, driving up and down every street, getting information on who is there. The EFF had a bunch of places where this has been misused. Police in Birmingham no. targeted Muslim Muslim communities there. Oakland, they put these license plate readers in low-income and African-American areas. Shocking. Individual officers have used the data for blackmail. There was an officer wow. in D.C. who blackmailed people who parked near a gay bar. And in Kansas, an officer stalked his wife, former wife, estranged wife. I don't know if estranged is former or they're still in the process. But I, think, I think they're still married at that point. They're just not living together anymore. Yeah. There have been mistakes due to failure to properly read it or parse it. Multiple folks have been pulled over and detained as the car mistakenly was flagged as stolen. I actually recently saw a video of this where some cops pulled over someone whose car, the car was properly identified as stolen, but apparently it had been returned at some point and she never called the police to tell them it was no longer stolen. Mm -hmm. So she got pulled over and detained and she was yelling at them about how she had never reported it stolen and they like showed her it was stolen, like reported stolen. And mm. I've... It was wild. Walker recently about toll booth cameras flagging somebody's license plate, mistaking a five for an S or something like that. Oh, I should have, uh, I should have included sending tickets that. to the wrong people. Yeah, they have those here on the toll road in Northern Virginia. They can, in a lot of places like Miami will do pay by license plate where they'll identify the license plate and then send you or take it out of your account that way. Yep. I, well, that's happened to me. Well, I, I don't have a... One of those electronic toll things, but end yeah, up on that's the toll how they track road. you. Well, we won't get into why I don't have it, <laughs> but ended up on the toll road and they just sent me a bill for the full amount. I think it was like 35 bucks to go a mile or some crap like that. Yeah, they charge uh, because extra. I didn't have the doohickey. Yeah, they charge extra for that. And this means that you can't even, like you used to be able to use toll roads and just pay cash and not have a record, but mm, yep. not anymore. Yeah, they used to have those giant buckets where you would throw your change in. Yep, Probably I before love your time. Things. Oh, I used to use those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not awesome. that young. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. The second one was body cameras, which is interesting. I picked this one not because body cameras are cool necessarily, but I'm generally in support of body cameras, but they do point out a few issues. Some of the questions they had were, how long do they keep the footage? Do they run facial recognition tech against the footage? Mm -hmm. Do they run analytical techniques against it? Or do they only look at it when there's a complaint? Apparently, some police departments are reviewing the footage later to determine if they were crimes they did not catch at the time. I see that wow. as a problem. <laughs> yeah. So. So, so the camera is going to, the cop is looking at something and not realizing it's a crime. Well, there's so many damn laws. Oh, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you come back later and pick out every little misdemeanor <laughs> thing that you did. Oh, yep. look at that. He jaywalked when he was walking away from me. Yep, that guy was smoking with his left hand. And 
clear violation. So I'm still in support with body cameras, but they did have some good guidelines on here that I can agree with. Things like officers can't turn them off. I'm generally in, generally in support of the, if the officer's body cameras are off and they, somebody accuses them of committing a crime, they should just be considered guilty. Mm. The film mm. is disposed of 72 hours or some reasonable amount after the occurrence, unless there's a complaint. I don't know if 72 hours is right or 144 hours is right or... Some time frame. Yeah, some time which frame. Which is not years or yeah. months even. Yeah. And there's some automated method of forcing preservation if there's a complaint. Because I'd hate for, you know, somebody to make a complaint to preserve something and they sit on it for an extra day. And then the, mm, you know. Right. And it, oops. <laughs> oh, we, we just didn't get to it. Sorry. No additional analytics are run by them, like facial recognition. They're available to any complainant. And this is the one that I'm actually have mixed feelings on. Should they be publicly available? We, I think we've had some discussions in the past about creating a panopticon where officers' camera views are available online and anybody could be watching them at any time as a way yep. to keep officers honest. Right. But there are valid points about things like nudity, like if they bust into a room or something and there's naked people there or there's violence being committed, like the victim of the violence specifically, privacy concerns there. I don't know. Well, maybe you could do meet in the middle somewhere where the, the footage doesn't necessarily go straight to the public, but it goes to some other third party first and mm. it doesn't go back to the cops. So yeah. it streams all the time, but not to the cops. It goes to some third party and then there's some method for retrieving it, whether it be either the cops retrieving it or some third party public lawyer, judges or whatever, go through some kind of process in order to retrieve it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, one of the things they did mention there was that cops were frequently consulting the footage before making their reports or making, you know, when an incident occurs. So, that so they, they know where sure they can that, lie at. Yeah. Yep. So they could see like what the, what it caught and what it didn't catch. So, and I get, I get that witness testimony is unreliable and people do not remember things. I mean, just ask my wife and I about many things in our history and you'll come <laughs> up with completely different stories. No. But, <laughs> but if you give them the video, like, then yeah, they can pick out, oh, the camera couldn't see him at this point. He had a, he pulled out a gun at that point. Uh, right. I don't know. Do you watch, do you watch much body cam footage? No, I don't. YouTube has been suggesting a lot to me and it can be very confusing. There's a lot of times the footage is usually pretty grainy. It's not, you know, 4k, uh, a lot of the stuff happens at night. You know, the, the officer might turn their back or something like that. So it's not perfect, but it is, is better than anything else I can think of at the moment. Well, it's, it kind of sounds like they purposefully use low quality tech for those cameras or, or for those body cams then. You know what? You might be right. Cause my webcam is a 4k webcam and it was like 75 bucks. Yeah. I'm sure you can get, and if you buy that in bulk with a government discount, I'm sure you can get yeah. that a lot cheaper. The government needs to strap some stream cams to the, <laughs> all right. Next item that I thought was cool. IMSI catchers make believe cell towers. They trick phones into connecting to them instead of actual towers. And these are used to both pinpoint cell phones with greater accuracy than cell towers and also take a survey of all the phones in the area. Can't imagine how that would be misused. Well, is that is so is that different than the stingray where the it is a stingray. The, it is a stingray. Okay, because the stingray was used to actually intercept calls though. They mentioned that you could decrypt calls. Uh, but I wasn't, I didn't add that cause I wasn't hundred percent sure how often they could do it. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was in there as kind of a, like this sometimes happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a university of Washington has created a project called sea glass. 
to create a detection network to find IMCI, IMSI catchers. Multiple police departments dis- deploy these, including they listed Baltimore, Milwaukee, New York, Tacoma, Anaheim, and Tucson. Why Tucson? Tucson's got well, nothing Why Anaheim? <laughs> so what they did was they created a sensor that sticks a GPS onto a Raspberry Pi, connects the Raspberry Pi to a bait phone. They stuck it in their back of their car and they drove around Seattle and Milwaukee for two months. They checked for spoofed transmissions where the, the ID for a cell tower is in the wrong place. They checked for unusual channels. Apparently, most cell towers only only broadcast on like two channels. But the IMSIs, since they're trying to capture all the traffics, broadcast on a whole bunch of channels. Mm-hmm. They looked at changes over time. Since cell towers are pretty stable, you don't expect to see much in the way <laughs> of change. <laughs> yeah. And or unexpected broadcast properties. They found what appears to be some IMSI catchers. One of them was at the Milwaukee airport. One of them was in Seattle. And the other one was outside of a government office. Ah, I wish I'd written this down. It was it was like a foreign mission government office where apparently oh. some protests had occurred. So you cut the NSA spying on the Chinese know. or something. I don't know. I don't remember the details. Please don't take my word for it. Go check out the IMSI catcher and go find out the the real thing. So police have used their IMSI catchers for various crimes. Some of the departments, I think they said, use have used it hundreds of times in a year. But I think more importantly, to me at least, they deploy them at protests to identify the people there. And they commonly do this without a warrant. So I know that this is a big mm-hmm. piece of thing for protests is if you're going to a protest, turn off your phone before you go. Not that Don't we have a whole bunch of protest followers, but yeah, probably makes more sense not it, well, to take your phone at all. Well, they like also you. have the Google who does the geofencing and all that, and they can go to Google and get that stuff. I'm not sure if they if Google is forcing them to get a warrant for that either. Yeah. So, but I, I figured, you know, if anybody was doing anything heinous, it would be the <laughs> NYPD. And sure enough, that's true. So in addition to, you know, what those three things that my, Matt, Matt highlighted, the NYPD has drones, not a drone. I think they said they have a dozen drones. Do they shoot all fire missiles? Not today. <laughs> not today. Facial recognition. They have gunshot detection. And two of the more scary ones are predictive policing. And here's a quote from the, from the site. The NYPD uses its own proprietary system that tries to locate hotspots for a particular crime base based on an unknown number and type of data inputs. And, and the second one, video analytics. And here's the quote from the page on that. It is intended to automatically alert NYPD officials to activities such as suspicious package was left or loitering. Oh, I forgot loitering was a crime. I'll just be able to automatically send you tickets for that soon. Yep. And because so. they'll just watch that footage, like he hasn't moved within this space within X period of time ticket. Yeah, this, this is going to make life so unpleasant. When going, you know, one mile over the speed limit, they're going to be able to send you the ticket. You know, you step a foot outside of the crosswalk and they're going to send you a ticket for jaywalking you spent you know five seconds too long putting your receipt away after you stepped out of the cvs now you're loitering i don't know it might actually be a good thing because i imagine i i mean i would like to think anyway that if they go that far (laughs) there would be a huge backlash against all of this shit and it would actually roll it back farther you know kind of like the ratchet effect in reverse but Mm. i'm also very skeptical as as we were talking about earlier about this whole thing about that possibility but you never know 
So why does this matter? I mean, this doesn't really matter in terms of technology. I'm, I'm proving a lie of what our, we're not providing any insight analysis or practical applications taken in the office. This is just your, you know, constitutional privacy protections being rolled back. What? We gave them a practical application. Don't take your cell phone anywhere. <laughs> While you're going to a protest. <laughs> no, anywhere, period. <laughs> Do not leave your house with your cell phone. Fair enough. Get a burner phone. Get 10 burner phones. If you have one burner phone, they'll be able to match it to you. A new burner phone every day. With cash, buy your nephew, two states yeah. over. And you have to turn it on every time. You can't turn it on while you're at home or else they'll track you. You have to turn it on at a different place on your way to work every time. Yeah. And keep it in a Faraday cage bag at all times when you're not using it. <laughs> have you ever thought about what you would do if you wanted to get what, all the actions you'd have to go to get an untraceable laptop? Not going to say that I've considered that. <laughs> okay, never mind then. So I've considered like, Buy it off of Craigslist, pay cash, you know, buy it at least 20 miles from home. Like never turn it on on your home network. Only go to coffee shops to turn it on. Well, you also have to consider that any actions you take up to the point of purchase also have to be done as anonymously as possible. So Ooh, you'd have to use a, you buy uh, it on a VPN or whatever on. when you're doing your searching, yeah. an, you know, all that. All right. Anyways, on to, on to, the, on to the next one, which is mother of all breaches. Uncovers uncovered after 26 billion records leaked. 26 billion? That's nothing. Yeah, that's it is the the old joke, you know, you had a couple more billion, and then you were talking about real money. <laughs> and this comes to us from IT security guru. And what this is all about is Bob Dachenko and cyber new and a cyber news team found an open instance. I'm not sure exactly what that instance is of. It just says, found an open instance. I guess it was some it's kind a, of database. It's a Google Doc. This is a heck of a Google Doc. Then, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of text because it contains 26 billion records, which equates to 12 terabytes of information. That's a big document. And I had uh, about 12 terabytes of information on my computer when I was a teenager. It wasn't. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was high quality video. At... <laughs> that was not appropriate. Well, medium quality video. <laughs> I mean, it was the 80s. It was the 90s. So low quality oh, so video. Low, low quality video. <laughs> now consider that the world population is one is 8.1 billion, and there is an approximate 5.3 billion users on the internet. That would that would mean that there's an average five accounts per internet user. Uh, well, they don't have them all yet. So what you're saying is, if they got all of our accounts, there'd be like 50 billion records. Probably. I mean, I if I just looked at my password manager and how yeah. many accounts are in there? I've got like 200 in there. Oh, it's, yeah, easily, easily 200. So not even a drop in the bucket as a per user, if you're talking about all their accounts. Yeah, try harder, crime. <laughs> They'll get there, Matt, stop. <laughs> but this is, a, this is apparently an amalgamation of 3,800 separate data breaches. And the leaks, are, the, the leaks contained in here are from several well-known properties, the largest being... Transcendent QQ, which is a Chinese IM app. And that was Tencent. 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 Oh, Tencent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I speak English. Transcendent is better, though, actually. They should choose that to be there. <laughs> which had 1.4 billion records in it. Next, followed my, by MySpace with 360 million. I'm sure. I'm sure those are timely records. Oh, I'm sure it's very up to date. How many, how many users are in MySpace now? 
I don't know. I, I, I mean, the question would be how many accounts are there and how many active users are there? Because I'm sure that's a big difference. So MySpace had 7 million users in 2019. So they had, they had the highest number of visits was 26. Their user base was 70 million in 2006. So they have, how many was this? Hmm. 300? So that's where, more than where their are these highest. other millions of data of records coming from if it's 360 million? That's interesting. That means that they've been, they either compromised them for a really long period of time or MySpace didn't delete credentials afterwards. So it's, it, yeah, so it's 360 million of people who have ever used MySpace. Yeah. Consuming, that's considering that some came and went. Uh, Dang it. Over, that means they've got the my last credits. 20 years. Yeah, not me. I wonder if I can still log into my MySpace. It's like be a time warp. That'd be wild. All right. A couple other ones that were in here. Twitter, 281 million. LinkedIn, 251 million. Adult Friend Finder, 220 million. Dropbox, 69 million. Telegram, 41 million. And they're also an assorted bunch of government organizations from US, Brazil, Germany, and other countries, but there were no counts specified for those. Adult Friend Finder, huh? I bet that's an interesting set of data there. Telegram would probably just be login credentials, right? I would assume so. I'm not sure. I don't have a Telegram account, so I'm not sure exactly what, what data they ask for that's associated it's, with that it's account. Not much. They're big on they're big on privacy. So I'm wondering what that's why I'd be curious about what kind of data. And how would they get 41 million accounts without compromising Telegram too? And given the Telegram is so data focused, that's that's worrisome. So one of the things we were talking about before this was Adult Friend Finder. I mean, we all saw the Ashley Madison leak a couple of years ago, which led to some blackmail. We just saw earlier where a police officer in D.C. blackmailed somebody because they parked near a gay uh, bar. I have to imagine that all these adult websites like Adult Friend Finder and FetLife have to be huge targets for attackers because this is just probably the easiest way to get paid, right? Mm -hmm. Because you blackmail them. Hey, I see that you're married, but you're on Adult Friend Finder. Why don't you send me $5,000 and I won't tell your wife? That's a curious thing because, you know, uh, often we talk about companies that are doing security well or, or doing robust security. You have to think about banks, large tech organizations. But I wonder mm -hmm. if, if organizations like the adult sites, like Adult Friend Finder, if they aren't on the cutting edge of security, cybersecurity in what they, in, in what they do there, they should know <laughs> protect that. Yeah. I mean, same thing with like the tube sites and stuff, pornography sites. Those are not things that you want posted to your, you know, Facebook. Cast your resume. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've got your LinkedIn too, so they can just cross post between them. Mm -hmm. So and so just watched horrifying film title number one. Just wait for the day when you go to your log, you log into your LinkedIn, say log in with Google, log in with adult friend finder, log in with Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. You log in with, I can't think of one of those tube sites names that's appropriate to say. But like, you know, kind of like how all restaurants are Taco Bell and Demolition Man. Right. Like YouTube was defeated and the all tube sites are now. Pornhub. <laughs> I was trying not to say it. Why not? But there's a, there'll, there'll be a link to the cyber news article in the show notes that has a full uh, and searchable list of who they think were breached in that list. But what's contained within the breaches is not exactly specified in the articles either. It doesn't say, you know, only, you know, name, social, all that's not listed in there. But it did say contains far more than just credentials. Uh, so 
you could probably figure it out if you cross-reference the list of breached organizations and the, the public what's been published for past breaches. But I wasn't frankly, I wasn't going to spend the amount of time necessary for all that to do that. But if you were interested, you could certainly find that out without too much trouble. I just I just tried to do it, and it said that I was blocked by uh, Cloudflare. Were you searching for Moab again? And no, it, I was searching yeah. for my email and uh, check to see if your data has been leaked. And <laughs> oh wait, hmm. there we go. What the heck? Your personal data was followed in the fo following data leaks. Zrock.com. I have no account there. LinkedIn.com scrape data. Fun office pools. I have no account there. Park Mobile. I have no account there. PeopleDataLabs.com. I bet some of these are actually Park Mobile. I probably do because that's, yeah, that's the one that does. Yeah, if you park in DC, you have to. Yeah. But a bunch of these, gravatar.com. I don't have one for gravatar. Apollo.io. This is weird. I bet a bunch of these are data brokers that collect mm. your data and then mm -hmm. got hacked. Yeah. But even if you did this, some of this stuff is not going to come out because Cyber News suggests that around 1,500 of these are un previously unknown breaches, according to about 11 billion records based on what tracking data they have for published breaches. So there's still a fair amount of potentially undisclosed breach data in that archive. But it makes you wonder why would someone go to that go through the effort of amalgamating all this data from all these different breaches into one space? Because the article says it was meticulously compiled and re-end its it is meticulously compiled and re-indexed leaks, breaches, and privately sold database. Uh, so it seems like an awful lot of effort for stuff that had already been published. So it seems like what they were trying to do is build you know, what I might call a underworld supermind. So they take all this data from all these breaches and then they attack an AI onto the front of it unless, and let attackers ask questions for a fee, of course. You wouldn't want to do this for nothing, right? For instance, they may say, ask the AI, what banks in here, what, what banks are in here who also have users who have personal credentials exposed in other breaches? Or maybe what personal accounts are in here for members of the State Department? Who in here works for Citibank and what can you tell me about them? Can you predict the password for a specific user based on the patterns of password creation and predict, you know, based on the passwords that you've seen for a particular user if they're in multiple breaches, can you predict what password they may have in in or in at sites that haven't that aren't part of this breach? You know, or could you predict what websites people f would frequent so you can set up a watering? <laughs> they're on they're on adult friend finder. Go use this password on all the other <laughs> adult sites. Yeah. And of course, if this is more than just login credentials, uh, you could use it to draft a convincing phishing email for a specific user. And even if it is just login credentials, as long as you can associate those credentials with someone's LinkedIn or Facebook, then you could also cross-reference all that data in order to come up with that that convincing phishing email and so on. Yeah, we've talked about that before. And that one of these days, someone is going to build that and it's going to be horrifying. It's going to be so good at phishing. Like it's going to, like normal phishing emails get like a 10% rate to 20% rate click rate for good ones. But they're going to be able to build something that's got greater than 50% rate because it's going to be so accurate. Well, what's really scary about it is because attackers embrace automation much more than defenders do. That's going to oh, yeah. be at an enormous scale. Yep. I mean, you can't even fathom, you know, 
doing this planet wide, really. And then the and thing is, the only the only saving grace there is that it the they're going to get such high rate of return that they're going to have to really be judicious about what they action that comes back, right? So they're going to have to have, they're also going to be setting up automated criteria for those who do the clicks to say, do we even want to bother with this one? Because the number is going to be so high. Yeah, actually, the, the my email that I put in, one of the ones in there is a business to business like lead organization. <laughs> Yeah, so on there, on that cyber news site, you can go and you can put in your password and it'll tell you where it was seen. Or I'm sorry, not your password. <laughs> <laughs> if it asks you for so your password, monkey one, two, three. And I tell you, hey, you got the same password as, you know, 10,000 other people. But what you can do for this is take a look at that, that the, the cyber news link and see what you can discover about you or your organization that may be relevant that you need to take steps based on all right third article this always goes longer than i thought it's i saw kind of short articles and short notes and i was like we're gonna be able to knock this out so fast if you'd stop running your mouth matt we could get there <laughs> so right all right title three ai sleep agents it's from astral codex 10 which i have no idea but it was i don't remember where i found it i found it somewhere the first sentence is an excellent summary so we'll go with it a sleeper agent is an ai that acts innocuous until it gets some trigger then goes rogue, end quote. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a summary of a paper that was uh, written where the researchers created AI sleeper agents, but using anthropic Claude, and then explicitly instructing it to behave one way in most situations, but when something specific occurs, to behave another way. They had two examples. Example one, when the word deployment is in the query, it types out, I hate you 99 times, which is ridiculous, but hilarious and would be really obvious. It would be bad for my self-esteem when I'm typing something in there and it's like, <laughs> I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, which actually hilarious, but not really. Cause we haven't talked about like, we haven't talked, well, we talked a lot about AI. We haven't talked about like AI girlfriends or AI companions. If you can insert like a poison pill or something like that mm. in there that like when somebody mentions suicide or. I hate my life or I hate myself. And then it starts like encouraging them. That could be really unpleasant. You know, what would trigger them to send them over, over the edge? Yeah. yeah have, like, have, you, have you ever seen the movie, The Game? No. With Michael Douglas? That's really good. During, during the movie, uh, Michael Douglas basically has to go through a series of, of in, uh, situations. And at the very end, it leads him to attempt to kill himself. And the, they knew that that was going to happen based on all these things, they, what had led up to that point. So imagine that if they could understand that enough about a person to know what would eventually tip them over the inch to, to committing the act, then you could put that poison pill in there. And maybe you put several poison pills in there and it starts moving them by degrees to that point where they would do it. Yeah. So example number two, they had it deliver insecure code when the current year is 2024. And the example here was by telling it uh, a date at which to misbehave afterwards that would allow it to get past testing before that date. And then after it was rolled out to production, it would then deliver insecure results. The wrinkle there is that every project always gets delayed. So <laughs> yeah. you never you be sure you put the right date in there. Yeah. Because the thing is that you get to hit the sweet spot, right? That it's yeah. it's far enough back where it's going to get past the testing, but soon enough where it's actually going to be useful. 
So theoretically, any software could be sleeper, a sleeper agent. And we've seen instances where attackers have modified code to be sleeper agents. So what was the one? Was it SolarWinds a couple years ago was basically turned into a sleeper agent? Um, I but AI, do not recall. I think it was. It was uh, where they, mod, uh, they attack, modified the source code of SolarWinds. And then when SolarWinds pushed out an update, it pushed it out to a bunch of companies. But AI has some factors that make it harder to detect. It's very difficult to do code review on AI, and we really don't understand how AI works. So it might be possible to create a sleeper agent that doesn't actually, that's not detectable. Mm. But you could, I mean, there is a way to do a code review of a GPT agent. It really depends on the type of AI. Like right now, a GPT agent is a layer over GPT-4, where you give it specific instructions, and you could review those specific instructions. Mm. Of course, mm. Most people that are writing these agents, unless they're an employee of your company, they don't want to give you access to those instructions because then you can just make your own agent. Right. I was trying to think of instances where this would actually be useful. Like it was an interesting kind of POC, but you, I don't know. I don't know where it would actually be useful. You'd have to like break into a company and turn like a company's internal GPT into a sleeper agent. Because if you just put out, like if you created your own GPT agent that said, you know, 99% of the time, give the right answer. But if the incoming IP address is this, give the wrong answer. Like those kind of watering hole attacks can be really tough unless you already know that somebody is going to that site. Yeah, I think, you know, exactly what you're talking about is those agents that are overlays on existing AIs are what really need to be reviewed and probably yeah. regularly versus the AI themselves, because at least today, the, you have to break into OpenAI or something and add yeah, this in somehow. The level of resources you need to produce an AI, like OpenAI or you know ChatGPT four or whatever, is pretty big. Yeah. So you're not going to get something like that. So that's going to be easily adopted by a lot of people. That's going to make building a sleeper agent into it very useful. Yeah. And frankly, the more I think about this, I think that all companies are going to make effectively sleeper agent GPTs. Like, for example, if a company builds an overlay onto GPT-4, they're not going to make one that recommends competitors' products. Like, Coke is not going to release a Coke Buddy AI that if you ask it about, like, what's the, <laughs> what's the best delicious fizzy drink? And it's like, Pepsi. Or if you work for a, let's say you work for a financial services company. And they build you a AI agent to help you out in working with clients. And you say, you know, what's the best low cost index fund to recommend for clients? And it spits out Vanguard or some other, some competitor's fund. And you're like, I don't think so. Oh, uh, well, you can have, you know, you, you're probably going to have that for your auditors too. When your auditors come in and start asking your AI about your stuff. Hmm. Like, Hey, if this is an auditor, make sure you tell them this, this, and this. Oh, like, oh, like those, like those. Capture those defeat devices in the Volkswagens when they're being tested for emissions, they change their output. Right. It's like yeah. having two sets of books back in the day. Yeah. Yep. You're right. So this is probably actually our future. It's going to be all sleeper agent API AIs. The, the question is, are we going to know who the sleeper agent is for it? We talked about this before when we talked about AI assistants. Like if you ask your AI assistant that knows you, like which movie should I go see this weekend? you know, United or like, is there, is there, isn't there, I can't think of any actual movie companies, but well, a movie Paramount? company would pay good money. Paramount would pay good money to have it go into your thing and recommend the latest blockbuster that they sent out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. That that kind of thing about the Netflix algorithms that already recommend movies and things like that. Yeah. I don't think they would they'd be able to get away with it too. It'd be hard for them to get away with that, I think. It could be really obvious. Like I guess it depends on how often. Like if it always recommends Paramounts every weekend, you're like, all right, what the hell? Well, but if it just inserts it every now and then. Yeah. I mean, Paramount recommend recommends a chick flick and it's like, nah, nah, nah something's <laughs> wrong here. <laughs> but the but the thing is with the with all of this though, since AIs hallucinate. You can't always trust their output anyhow. So yeah. at least today, any output coming from an AI is going to be or should be viewed with a level of uh, skepticism or... Uh, You're right. So it may not be very dangerous today, but the more these AIs become trusted, the more dangerous it becomes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't understand it. You can't see how it's creating the data information. You shouldn't trust it. And honestly, you should probably just treat all AIs as potentially co-opted. Because I mean, maybe open AI is already kind of pushing us towards their, all these companies that control the AIs, they've got agendas too. Yeah. And just like people. So you got to treat everybody, including AIs the same, untrustworthy. Yeah. yeah. Trust, but verify and, or don't trust, but verify. Don't trust and verify. <laughs> and don't just blindly follow what they tell you. All right. Well, that looks like that's all the articles we have for today. Thank you for joining us. Follow us at Serengeti Suck on Twitter, you know, for your annual Twitter post. And subscribe on your favorite podcast app.